I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another Athletic Hockey Show, the Wednesday Roundtable Edition. I am Rob Peasel from CBC Sports, joined, as always, by Sarah Sivian, who apparently uh, has a best friend named Advil this morning because of an event she was at last night. How are you, Sarah? I had to say Yeah, it. thanks, everybody. I had to. <laughs> I know. Guys, I'm hanging by a thread right now because of some of you who joined me for a live podcast with Trip Tracy last night. It was so much fun, but I can't kick them back like I used to. So shout out to Voodoo <laughs> Ranger for applying um, those IPAs. They hurt today, but worth it last night. What's up, Jesse? What's up? Yeah, I just got back from a road trip. Um, I have have also have a uh, not feeling great this morning, but it's just because I'm old and I feel jet lag now, not because <laughs> I was drinking. <laughs> Well, look at this. I mean, we're just starting this off great. I just love we, we jumped on our, our Zoom call to do the show. And before Sarah even said hello, she goes, full disclosure, guys, <laughs> I'm not, <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm not feeling 100 <laughs> percent. I mean, my camera like, was about to start and it was like, I can't ha- have people thinking I just look like this. <laughs> but look at you guys just toughing it through like the hockey reporters that you are. Uh, I want to tell everybody a little later on, we're going to speak to Dom Lushishin, uh, who's going to come on. He was kind of one of our main topics last week when he wasn't on the show and we're going to get his opinion on a little bit of everything, including what it's like to put something on Twitter and be called every name in the book. But uh, we're less than a week, guys, trade deadline. And, you know, a few weeks ago, we talked all about how oh, trades are going to start flowing in now in the last few weeks. And we're still kind of waiting. We saw the Josh Manson deal, which kind of, you know, got people's juices flowing a little bit. We're going to talk about your individual teams uh, in a minute, but man, the salary cap really has this, this trade deadline to me kind of stalled because so many great teams are up against the cap. So many teams I think want to make moves, but 
have to maneuver before they can do so. Are we now looking at a trade deadline day in its truest sense where a lot of this stuff's going to happen on March 21st? What do you think, Jesse? Maybe. I mean, we've only got a few days to get there. Um, I've been saying this whole time. I think that these salary cap complications are going to make things happen earlier, and it hasn't worked out that way. I mean, maybe we're just not going to see as many moves. Um, I don't, I mean... I was, I was on with the Thursday guys talking about, and they had an over-under set. And I think the total number of players, like if you can bet how many players will be moved on deadline day. And it's like 36 and a half. And I'm like, wow, that seems really high. But I mean, you have to remember that like every trade has like two guys that you'll never hear of that just get sent yeah. from like minors and like all those players count too in those trades. But that still seems like a really high number. It seems like it's heading for the under for sure. Those are the guys that, as I'm, I'm, I'm one of those guys that's like reporting all the trades that happened. A lot of times I'll look and I'll go, never heard of those three guys. So three prospects going the other way for Claude Giroux and blah blah blah. You know what I mean? <laughs> Sarah, what do you think of the yeah. delay that we've seen so far in this last? I, I don't know why we're calling it a delay. I'm calling it a delay. Week and a half. Well, yeah, like the dominoes. You thought with Toffoli, the dominoes might have started falling, but yeah. I think maybe with defensemen, the dominoes will actually start falling because it's such a defense heavy deadline right now. And I, I don't know, you look at the return for Manson and it's like, it shouldn't be that difficult for teams. If he's only getting, what was it? A second rounder and a prospect. Yeah. It wasn't super high. Yeah. I look at that. I'm like the cane should have got that done, but I guess they didn't want it enough. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think GMs are all asking for first round picks and the GM on the other end of the line is saying no. And again, I don't know if that's going to loosen up come closer to March 21st, but I feel like first round picks are really, really valuable valuable this year. And I just don't see GMs letting them go for necessarily rental players. And, you know, Eric Duhatchik had a great, you know, piece where he talked about just the the actual act of the uh, the salary cap being one of the delays. And, uh, you know, some of the biggest names are UFAs. You know what I mean? And they're not only UFAs, they're UFAs who teams are trying to resign. So if you've got Thomas Hurdle and he's like, well, we're trying to resign him, well, then he's not necessarily quote unquote trade bait as people like to uh, to call them. Uh, but you two both cover obviously your own teams and I think you're both in very interesting situations. Jesse, while we were waiting to get you on, we were joking about how you asked a month ago, or, you know what? What are the chances of the Vegas Golden Knights making the playoffs? We would have said that's the stupidest question ever. Uh, those chances have plummeted. A five-game losing streak will do that and so will – you know, half your roster getting injured, do that. But can you believe that the team you cover is now fighting for a playoff spot and suddenly whether they're buyers or sellers seems to be a big question mark? Yeah, that's what I wrote about yesterday was could this team be a seller at the deadline? And I think there are there are plenty of logical reasons that that they could be sellers. And yeah, they're they're super injured. This team, I would not have expected them to be this way because even in the early in the season when they were this injured, um, and that was before they had Jack Eichel and they were this injured, they stayed above their head above water. I mean, they they actually were in first place for a lot of that. Um, that's partially because the Pacific struggled and then Calgary actually caught fire. So there's actually a good team in that division now that they're having to compete with. But they, I mean, they've got thirty seven million dollars in players injured right now. Um, This year, they've had, if you take all their games, they've averaged $19.4 million out per game with injuries, which is incredible. Um, But that just shows you how injured this team is. They're one of the most injured teams in NHL history, not just this year. So it's not all that surprising. And And then the thing is, when they were really, really injured earlier, Robin Leonard was keeping them games. Now Robin Leonard's injured. They've got backup goalies who are playing awful. Their goaltending has been bad the last couple games. And 
It's just falling apart. Um, I could see a... So I, I, I wrote about, like I said yesterday, I could see this team selling at the deadline because I could see Kelly McCrimmon saying, you know what? <laughs> we've, we've raised our hand a few times and the cards... We're not getting the cards we thought we were going to get. Let's just... Let's just sit on this one. And you don't have to fold. You don't have to like give up on the season, but let's just let's just let this season play out and see what happens. And you've got some pending UFAs in Riley Smith and Matthias Yanmark. And if you think that there are going to be some tough decisions to make this offseason, they're going to lose some players from this team. If Kelly McCrimmon can make a move, whether it's by trading one of those UFAs or by trading another contract that will give you a chance to re-sign a Riley Smith, I could see them selling at this deadline to try to set themselves up for a better offseason and just kind of start looking to the 2022-2023 Cup because... I'm not saying it's over for this version of the Golden Knights, but man, it doesn't seem like anything has gone right. And they're going to need a lot of things to go their way down the stretch, not just the health, but these guys have got to figure out how to play together in a small time span. So I could see this team selling. Well, I think this road trip really said a lot. Obviously, you, you, you alluded to the injuries, but you look at the teams they lost to Philly, Buffalo. Okay, you've got Pittsburgh, Columbus. Winnipeg. I count one playoff team in yep. there. Those are not teams you can lose to in succession, have a five-game losing streak in regulation, no points, and expect that, oh, once a few guys come back, everything will fall into place. Um, and right now, they're clinging to that that first wild card. I just I just never thought I'd, I'd see it. And you talked about goaltending. I think I read it on your Twitter uh, feed where Peter DeBoer said, you got to get in front of one. Right. And I remember kind of thinking, isn't that what goaltending is? When your coach is saying, get in front of the puck, problems <laughs> problems are, are, are arising right now. Yeah, and not only are they in that last wildcard spot, all the teams around them have games in hand. Like points percentage, the Golden Knights are out of the playoffs right now. If you go by points percentage, like Dallas, I think, is like one point behind them, but they've got three games in hand. So... In all, like in reality, the Golden Knights are not even in playoff position at this moment. You can just say it. Jack Eichel's a locker room cancer. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's what everybody wants to believe. I mean, if you go off my if you go off my Twitter mentions, it's for sure Jack Eichel's fault. Um, oh my seriously, God. he's been the best player on the team. He went from Buffalo, where he has to carry everyone and he can play great and still lose, to Vegas, where he has to carry everyone and can play great and still lose. What a plot twist there. Huh? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the surgery wasn't the answer. Right. <laughs> uh, and then we've got the Carolina Hurricanes battling for top spot in the Eastern Conference. And Jesse, you know this. Our co-host over here is always complaining. We don't talk about the Hurricanes enough. I'm, I'm complaining quote, about the uses of bat battling. They aren't battling. They're top in the league. They beat the Avs. Come uh, on. Yes. I said they're the battling for top spot in the Eastern Conference. They're second in the Eastern Fine. Conference as we speak, which means Fine. they're battling for a spot. And I'm going to quote you, Sarah. Quote, you don't want to make a move just to make a move, and you don't want to overestimate the impact one player really can have on your playoff run, which I completely agree with. And we've seen it so many times in the past. A team battling for first place, there's that word again, but they still <laughs> feel they need to make those tinkers, those, you know, the, the depth moves. Do you see that happening with the Hurricanes this year? Do you see them really um, at least testing the waters to see how they can improve? Yeah, I mean, they've made calls on Manson, they've made calls on Chikrin, um, things of that nature. And I think they were looking at defense, but now their defense in the past month has improved a lot. Ethan Bear is playing really, really well kind of suddenly. Um, Jalen Chatfield is someone they can call up. I know Brendan Smith actually lost his hearing in his ear. It's supposed to come back, but he fractured his skull. So that's kind of a big question mark there. It was a horrific injury, but they now know Chatfield can come in and help him. And then 
Tony D'Angelo is going to come back in a few weeks and he just started practicing again with the team yesterday. So I think that's more of kind of D'Angelo is going to come back and things are going to fall into place. They only have 1.6 million in cap space right now. So it's just kind of like, what can they do? They'd have like in the Manson situation, even if the ducks retained 50% of the salary, they'd still have to do some juggling. So it's just kind of like, that is the issue. They'd have to offload a player. And I think, I personally think they need to score more goals. And in the past month, they've really dropped with their um, goals per game average. I think they're like eighth in the league now. And it's just kind of like something they need to get back at. So I would like to see them go for maybe a scoring winger, but then they'd have to let go of somebody. And I don't know if they want to mess with the chemistry too much. What team, other than the teams you guys cover, are you the most interested to see what they do between now and March 21st? Is there a team that really sticks out? Because for me, it's it's Colorado yeah, because exactly. they are just yeah. – man, They just the, you talk about the rich getting richer. They yeah. go out, they get Manson, and, and what does every quote-unquote insider say? They ain't done. My insiders are telling me they're not done. They're not – I'm going, they're not done. This is a bloody all-star team. You watch this team play, and they look like they're on a different level. We heard Daryl Sutter say this week – uh, I don't ever want to be the team that has to face Colorado because that's a waste of eight days. He literally said making the playoffs and facing Colorado is a waste of eight days. So for me, it's Colorado. Any, any other teams or, or do you just agree with the apps? That quote is so great by Sutter yeah. because oh, it's he's, so he's giving bulletin board material for the opponent of his biggest opposition. He, he Sutter's sitting there <laughs> saying, all right, who's my biggest opposition to win a Stanley Cup? Colorado Avalanche. Let's just throw some fire on their first round matchup for no reason because you know that quote's going to get drug up as soon as the playoff series gets set. It's amazing. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I agree. Colorado, I think overall Colorado, I'm super interested. Um, you know me, I've got to go towards the goalies. I'm excited to see what Toronto does just because I think I know everyone's going to roll their eyes and say, yeah, Toronto's talented every year and they lose. But like, I think that Toronto team is good enough to go to make a deep run. And I think obviously the way Austin Matthews is playing right now, that team's fun to watch. I think they can go on a deep run, but I don't like, I thought Jack Campbell was the answer early in the year. He's clearly not. I'm interested to see in what Colorado does and specifically what Toronto does in net. I'll take the L on the Morazic thing. I think I said last week, just be patient <laughs> with him. I don't think you should be patient with him anymore. <laughs> the patience has run out. <laughs> yeah. Aaron yeah. Shalgren last night, guys. 35 safe shutout in his, his first ever career start. Playoff uh, Goaltending issues done for the yeah. Leafs. That's it. Yeah. Cause yeah. my trophy candidate. Uh, <laughs> that's the way it works. But Sarah, is there a team you're looking at? Uh, definitely the abs. I mean, that's the point. Like you don't want to make a move just to make a move, but when you see what your potential Stanley cup final opposition is doing and you're not getting better, then you kind of have, there's pressure on, like they're getting better. So that's scary. And I, it's ballsy. I love it from them. A uh, couple quick topics uh, before we go to break that I wanted to get your opinions on. You were there, Jesse, and I know we haven't had a chance to talk about it. We, we dedicated a lot of our last show to Jack Eichel's return, but He's been so, and I don't want to say this wasn't classy, but he's been so nice during this whole thing. No hard feelings. Buffalo, I love you, everything else. The crowd was so loud. And afterwards, quote, that's the loudest I've heard this place ever. It only took seven years and me leaving for them to get into it. I love the parting shot. What'd you think? Yeah, I loved it too. Um, I thought 
I, I thought it was all great. It was just such a fun night. Like it was, it was Eichel's return. The Sabres, a, a franchise that never ha- hasn't won anything. They, they win the Jack Eichel return with the two players that they got in the trade. They both score Alex Tuck and Peyton Krebs and they booed him mercilessly the entire night. It was even worse than I, we talked about like, is there going to be venom? Yeah. There was venom pouring out of the windows of that building. It was, I've never been in an atmosphere like that. And you can't be, you can't get 20,000 people together. It wasn't that many. You can't get thousands of people together and beat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was, it was like, it was like nine. You can't get 9,000 people together and be a complete asshole to someone for three hours and then put a mic in front of that person's face and expect them to not be a little bit of an asshole back. Come on. Like, come on. Yeah. So, yeah, so it was good fun. Michael said all the right things all week. He said, there's no hard feelings. I loved my time here. I wish we could have won. And then they were, they, they booed him. So you put, and then you put a mic in front of his face and like, it was all Buffalo media. Like there was like me and like nine <laughs> Buffalo writers. So I asked oh, him, God. I asked him a couple questions and then they just started like one after another, after another. And he like answered him the right way, the right way. And then finally you could see it. He was just like, we've lost three in a row. We just lost to the worst team in the league. I'm having a bad day. And he's just like, he just let one rip. And it was hilarious. <laughs> it, was, it was great. Exactly. I thought it was great. That's what the people wanted. He <laughs> right. finally gave us what we wanted. Right. And now Buffalo's oh, got a villain. A hockey player was honest. <laughs> a hockey player said what was on his mind. For shame. Yeah. This is the crap we need, guys. Mm. This is what we need to stop getting the pucks in deep. You know, good bunch of guys in the room give 110% cliches. I want to hear stuff like this, whether it's nice, mean, whatever. I like it. Um, Austin Matthews, two games for the cross check uh, to the head of of Tallinn. Um, I thought as soon as I saw it, I said two games, which means I thought it was going to be one game. Like, I think it's a two game infraction. I thought it was going to be one game because he had no priors. What did you guys think of this whole situation? Because this is the first time people are saying, wow, it's actually kind of good. Yeah, I think it's hilarious watching Leafs fans bend over backwards. And like a lot of them will admit that, yeah, maybe he should have been suspended. But what about this other guy who did this last week? And yeah. What about this other guy? And it's just like, guys, he deserved to be suspended for this. This was like a flagrant thing that he did that everybody saw. And I think two games was completely fair. Yeah, I agree. I think I think. Maybe a little surprising that because he's the star, he didn't get less. Like some, like we have seen that in the past. So, uh, but I, but I, I agree. I think it's in. The, they're going in the right direction. I think you've seen suspend. I think the suspensions have gotten better this season. Um, like I, I feel like in past years, we, <laughs> I'm yelling a lot more about like I can't believe this guy got nothing for this. It seems like this year guys have been getting suspended when things like this happen. I think for certain infractions, you can take into account that somebody's never done anything before. When you cross-check someone directly to the head, I don't care. I don't care if you've played 20 years in the NHL and never had a penalty before. Right. I think that supersedes the, the, the clean record. Now, if this was like a little bit of a high hit, a little bit something that happened at a quick pace, something that happened where you're like, you were a little reckless there, I'm okay with it. To say, hey, he's never done anything before. Clearly, this was he cross-checked a man to the head. Yeah, like, I don't, it was like, I don't care who it is. It was flagrant. And then the fact that after the game, he had the uh, the hockey pucks to go out there and say, "Well, I kind of got him on the shoulder and it rode up to his head." <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> not. That did not <laughs> happen. You hit him in the head. I don't care if you're an altar boy before this. You're getting two games. So it's it's been a while for me for me to kind of go. Like, 
I think that's I think that's right about where it should be. Uh, last thing before we go, Nick Foligno played in his thousandth game, tenth player to hit the thousand game mark this season, and that's happened in two of the last three years. I don't mean to diminish this, or I don't mean to you know shit all over somebody's accomplishment, but I feel like a thousand games doesn't hit me the same way as it did ten years ago. Well, is there a stat for you guys that used to be like so celebrated that now you're kind of like, okay, th- I mean, Claude Giroux's got his thousand tomorrow, so there's another one. I mean, is it is it is a thousand games it? Is it five hundred goals? Is it a thousand points? For me, it's a thousand games. It just doesn't hit me the same way. Yeah, and I think it's because it's getting easier, like medical it like the the way they treat players is getting better the way these guys treat their bodies like it wasn't that long ago where like they didn't have the same type of diets and nutrition that they have now and i think you're you're seeing players like in all sports um you're seeing players playing later and and not just certain like special guys like that it it used to take a special person to be able to like make it that many games but now it's like Everyone you see in the league is going to play a thousand games as long as they're good enough, right? Like it's it's to me it's a it's a case of like it used to be you've got to be a warrior, you've got to be this tough, like your body's got to be indestructible. Now it's are you good enough to hold a roster spot, especially with young kids like coming into the league taking your job like faster than they used to? I think it's a more of a stat of this guy was good enough to to hold an NHL roster spot for this long. So it's it's kind of different, but like more guys are going to be able to do that than than used to be able to. So yeah, I think it kind of has lost some of it, Sarah. I love when someone makes a point that I hadn't thought of that makes so much sense. Like that point makes so much sense. I was wondering why that seemed less significant to me. And it's definitely because more people are doing it th- these days. I still think it was really impressive that the Stahl brothers, like three of them got a thousand yeah. games and then four of them got a thousand two games. Thank you mu- very much. Shout out to Jared Stahl. But I, I still think a thousand games is special, but I feel like we celebrate and I don't know if I'm an asshole for this, but every, I feel like every week it's somebody in the press corps asking the Canes, how does it feel to score your 512th goal? How does it score to play feel to score your 800th? I don't even know. It's just like, there's so many little landmarks that I don't really care about. Like it's not that significant to me. Yeah, no. And I think I, I agree with you, Sarah, that Jesse hit it right on the head. I mean, it used to be crazy. Like I remember when when somebody hit 30, 31, 32 years of age, they were veterans. They were old guys. They're, they're knocking on retirement. Now players play into their 40s and uh, you know upper 30s quite easily, and they do it effectively. Just look at what Ovechkin is doing. But um, yeah, I, I agree. This one just – and I hate to – like I said, I hate shitting on somebody's accomplishment because it's a 1,000 games. It's still a 1,000 games in the NHL. It's a 1,000 more than I played in the NHL. But I just – it just – it just doesn't it doesn't feel the same to me and uh, I don't know if that's I don't know if there are others that thousand points maybe not necessarily but a thousand games to me is one of those but <laughs> congratulations to Nick Foligno for his thousand games but look what it <laughs> took Sarah. time congrats took. Yeah. <laughs> we're so pumped for you <laughs> it, it, it took it took three Stall brothers to do it for yeah. Sarah to be like that's cool yeah. you didn't say anything about yeah. anybody else with their thousandth game but congratulations to Nick Foligno on his thousandth game. Uh, stick around after the break. We're going to speak to Dom Lushijian about a little bit of everything, uh, including fun on social media. So don't go anywhere. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Well, our next guest is not only the member, but the actual president of the Jonathan Huberto fan club, uh, <laughs> Tom Lachishan, joining us. Dom, just starting shit out there in Twitter world, aren't you? <laughs> I I didn't mean to. <laughs> you know, we talked. It just sort of happens. Yeah, we talked a lot about you uh, and what you did last week, and I'm glad we can come on this week and. And talk about it, and we, we we defended you. Just I don't know if you went back and listened, but we defended you. But are you surprised anymore when you put something out there that's not even a full blown opinion? It's not even like here is what I think. This, all you did was present some numbers, and Twitter just kind of went like, <laughs> I I can't believe his agent <laughs> went after me <laughs> that hard. Like I I'm flattered that he thinks that I have enough sway that he needed to bring his own opinion into it. But I think it was wild because I mentioned Huberto in the piece saying, Hey, he's not here, but I think because a lot of people like him, that warrants a deeper investigation and people weren't super willing to wait for that. They looked at the chart and say, why isn't Huberto here? And called it a day and took out their pitchforks and marched straight to my front door. So the, I'm glad you brought that up because Alan Walsh joining us on the line now. Alan, yeah. <laughs> and I was the reporter that called you an embarrassment. We're all having an <laughs> intervention. But the funny thing is, is you had other reporters kind of jumping to your defense too. The Jim Mathisons of the world coming out saying, guys, like, why are we jumping on each other? This is sports talk. This is hockey talk. This is, we should enjoy this. And it, you know, we talked about this last week. The part that we didn't like was when everything got, super personal and it felt like there were there were personal attacks during this whole thing yeah uh i sort of just looked at him making personal attacks and felt he was mostly just embarrassing himself in doing that because it was just a hockey opinion i have been around this sphere a few times and i know that analytics can be super polarizing and when it says something that a lot of people don't necessarily agree with the first instinct is to go into defensive attack mode and sort of defend your own perspective and there's probably a better way for a lot of people to do it especially his agent but I guess that's the way he 
decided was the best way to handle it. And here we are. We were talking about this last week where, and like, and you actually just mentioned it. Like when the stats say something, our first reaction should be, why? Like, why do those stats say, like, we need to, like, we mm-hmm. need to, like, I, cause I think eye test is just as important as the numbers. But when you see a stat that doesn't agree with what your eye test says, the first thing you should say is, okay, why? Like, we need to look into this deeper. Why do you think the reaction, cause you see the reaction more than anyone to analytics. Like you are the, you, yeah. you embody analytics. Like you are the, your Twitter feed is, is people <laughs> who hate analytics. Why do you think the reaction is not like, let's see why these numbers are this way. And they're just, they immediately go to like, nope, the numbers are wrong. I I don't know. And in this case, like, it's not illogical. Everyone knows Jonathan Huberto is not the best player on the Florida Panthers. They know it's Barkov. They know Huberto is not completely sheltered, but doesn't face the toughest matchup because Barkov exists. They know he's an offensive first player. They know he plays off the rush and sometimes leaves the team a bit vulnerable to rush chances against. And for some reason, that all gets thrown out the window once numbers put all that together and say maybe he's not as valuable as his point totals suggest. Maybe Alexander Barkov has been better this year. He just has played fewer games. It's crazy when you actually go in and read your articles. It's very clear, like you aren't your model and you have like five disclaimers and people still just want to. I read them all on the show just to like, yeah. yeah, last week I read, I'm like, he's saying this is not an opinion. How are people? And, and look, we know this people like you, you put the graphic up and I, as soon as the graphic went up and then I read the piece, I'm like, Oh, this is going to go nuts because people are just going to see the graphic. Sorry to interrupt you, Sarah, but I'm like, oh, we even, sick, you're right. we say the disclaimers and people still just don't buy it. It's, it's hilarious. Oh, I have a great story about this one. That's not, that's about the same article, not about Jonathan Huberto, but I had, a Detroit radio show, apparently a very popular one. I've never heard of these people in my life. Uh, they saw the graphic, which had Maurice Sider fifth. The entire section that I wrote, probably like 500, 700 words, talks about how Maurice Sider is underrated, should be rated higher. I'd have him in my top three. And I'm listening to this radio show, and they're saying the exact points I had in the article as if I did not write them like word for word. He, this guy is saying like, I'd understand if you have a top three with bunting Zegris and cider. And I'm like, that was in the article dude. just like read past <laughs> the chart. People see the chart and they get mad immediately. It's like a visceral response to charts. Yeah. <laughs> you almost have to just not chart it. Just don't, but the chart creates all the excitement. Anyways, we didn't just get you on to talk about this. We've been talking about trade deadline day coming up on uh, Monday. And is there a team right now that you're really intrigued to see what they're going to do between now and March 21st? Uh, I think obviously the Leafs are intriguing because their goaltending has completely imploded over the last two months to the point where they brought in some guy I've never heard of until last week. And I followed this team and he posted a shot on his first game. So who knows what's happening there? They're always an exciting team to look at. I think the Bruins are interesting because they're sort of playing a lot better now, but they still have that pretty large hole at two C. And I think there's a perfect fit with Thomas Hurdle from San Jose, but is San Jose going to trade him? That's probably another interesting storyline for sure. What do you think, like how, how 
from the numbers perspective, how much does a goaltending move impact Toronto? Like, like can can that be? I always say, like to me, goalies that's that's the position that affects the standings the most. Like, do you think that that's the single move that can have the biggest impact on like Stanley Cup percentage at the deadline? Definitely, but the the issue is picking the right goalie, and that goalie might be the one on the roster, Jack Campbell. He looked the part for the first two months. And then he looks the complete opposite mm-hmm. part for the next two months. So goalie is a very high variance position and it can have by far the largest effect, but it can also change on a dime. I mean, John Gibson for the Ducks had, I think, the fourth best goal save above expected, I think, midway through February. And he ranks like 70th or right. 80th now because his last two months have been an absolute horror show. And mid-February, if belief somehow had a deal in line for John Gibson, it would have looked like a home run. And two months later, he looks exactly like he has the past two years where he's struggled. So it's a strange position where you might not want to invest too many, too many of your assets in improving it, especially if there is an option already on your roster. But at the same time, that option hasn't been working. So you have to sort of explore what else is out there. And then You've got the ever-popular no-trade-no-movement clause because obviously Marc-Andre Fleury's name gets brought up a lot. Mm-hmm. This is a guy who's known for being happy-go-lucky. He's a guy known for always having a smile on his face, uh, loving life, loves being an NHL player, but might not necessarily want to come to Toronto. And you can kind of see why. I mean, how much is a monkey wrench? How much of a monkey wrench is that when maybe a deal is there where you can bring in a Stanley Cup-winning goaltender, but he says... I'm much happier playing elsewhere where everything I do is not necessarily under a microscope. Yeah, I can definitely see that. But I think Flurry in Toronto, if he does well, could also become a, a cult icon. And the sheer vibes of a Flurry jack Campbell tandem in terms of happy-go-lucky golden retriever energy would be incredible. Uh, I think he's an improvement, but at the same time, aside from last night's game where he was incredible, over the last month or so, he's been just as bad as Jack Campbell. And that's the thing with goalies is Flurry has this very large sample size of being a strong goalie. And he is probably an improvement because we can trust that. But over a month period, who, who knows what happens in that you have the Vasilevskis of the world, the Shesterkins, you have UC Saros now, and you have literally everyone else, even Connor Hellbuck in Winnipeg was incredible last two years and there's the reason they were a playoff team this year they're out of the mix and he's just not been as elite as he usually has and that's part of the reason i think you guys would break mark andre Fleury. sorry <laughs> i just you guys, to say that when when did, when did i become a member of the toronto maple leafs <laughs> well i'm talking about dom <laughs> the, the leafs would break. for me it's the ceiling with flurry like i agree with you dom that like hit like his floor is probably just as low as jack campbell's is when you look at this season but like if you're saying which of these goalies if they play the right way can take this team to the stanley cup like i feel like flurry you know for sure his ceiling can get you to the cup like that that would be my thought process on that i would love to see those two as a tandem though like you said I, I would too. And I think Flurry can impart a lot of wisdom onto Jack Campbell as well. Uh, because Flurry has gone through these confidence issues before in the past. He's had really bad stretches and he's found a way to get back and be this elite goaltender. So I think just from that alone, I think it might be a worthwhile venture, but it obviously depends on the cost. Dom, what do you think about Freddie Anderson right now? <laughs> I 
I can't imagine him doing this in Toronto. And I think it's hilarious that this has happened because it's classic Leafs. But he's had stretches like this in the past with Toronto. They've just only lasted a month or two before he goes ice cold, sort of like Jack Campbell has. And I think part of that is the pressure that Toronto puts on its players. And halfway through the season, Campbell and Anderson's numbers were almost identical. It looked like a fine trade for both teams, not like an actual trade, but like Carolina getting Anderson, Toronto with Campbell. And since then, Anderson has been able to be this consistent presence while Campbell has been consistently bad instead. How much does this all depend on when Jake Muzzin comes back to cap wise, right? I mean, <laughs> if he's, if he's, he's skating, but it's a concussion. I, I, it's such a wild card when you're dealing with a concussion. If he's not coming back for the rest of the regular season, maybe that frees up that cap space to improve in goaltending. But if not, then you're also still missing one of your top forward, or your top defenseman, excuse me. Yeah, and the Leafs have one of the best capologists in the league, uh, so I think they'll have ways to figure this out. If they need to bring Fleury's huge salary in, they'll probably just do some sort of shenanigans to make it work. But yeah, the Muzzin situation definitely plays a factor in that. Dom, are the Golden Knights making the playoffs? <laughs> Today, for the first time, their chances were under 50%, oh, man. which is oh. absolutely <laughs> wild to me. Um, I might honestly even be overselling it because I am not projecting Stone to come back, but I am expecting some other players to come back and Pacioretty and Leonard. And right now the team has constructed that I don't, don't think they're deep enough to withstand those injuries, but at their best, this is still, I think a cup contending team. We just haven't seen that put together at all this season. It's been very strange for sure. Yeah. But if they all do come back, they're going to have like a $200 million team in the playoffs. <laughs> right. Well, a $200 million team that will have like a GSVA of like a billion, but have never played one minute of hockey on the same ice together. So it's like, good luck. <laughs> yeah. Just got to assume it'll work. Right. <laughs> Speaking of stat boys, Don, we were talking about this in the previous segment. I'm curious to get your impression on this. Um, we've had double digit players hitting a thousand games played this year. It's happened two of the last three years. And we were talking about how a thousand games just doesn't hit the ear the same way as it, as it used to for whatever reason will be at health, be it the fact that players are just playing longer because of strength and anything like that. Is there a stat that used to be super important that you look at now and it just doesn't feel be it a career stat, be it a, you know, an end of the year stat? Is there something that really just has faded away as far as importance goes that is that is definitely a tough question i think before like the recent scoring boom it was being a point per game player because it was so rare there was that year that jane ben won the art ross with like 87 points and i remember writing something where we have to like change how we think of the, about this where 85 points might be the new 95 or 100 points and then the recent generation of talent has been so good that that has completely been blown to the water and it's not really a factor anymore. But uh, I, I would have to say a thousand games definitely doesn't feel like it used to. I think you were on the money there. Was it Nick Felino yesterday yeah. or the other day hitting a thousand? It's just... And Claude Giroux tomorrow. I mean, well, and the funny, yeah, the funny thing about Claude Giroux is could we see him traded the day after he hits a thousand games because yeah. they want to do it and wants to do it in a flyer uniform. I mean, yeah, he's, he's been on record saying that, that well, maybe not on record, but it's been reported that he's that milestone is extremely important to him. So the day after seems like the best bet for Giroud getting moved. 
You heard it here first. That's hilarious. <laughs> that, that is hilarious that this other team is like needs Claude Giroux for a playoff run. And he's like, you guys, I just need to do this ceremony in Philly and then I'll come over and play for you guys. And that's like the actual reason it's being held up. But could you imagine Claude Giroux playing 999 games with the Philadelphia <laughs> yeah. Flyers and then his thousandth game is like with Colorado? I hope Are you kidding me? Stupid. They have a huge <laughs> ceremony. All the players would be so happy for him. All his new teammates. <laughs> Yeah, you should not, do what Phil Kessel like, did. Yeah, it's not like nine eighty seven or like you know mm-hmm. nine. It's it's he's at nine hundred ninety nine games. Like it's got it's got to wait one more game whether you're like it or not. He's got to take the one shift and then skate off like Kessel yeah. did for his kid and then get traded mid game. I think that'll be the best outcome. <laughs> he has been traded to the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, Dom, stop causing shit on Twitter. Uh, you know, thank you because then you come on with us and we talk about it and it's always fun. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Again, the president of the Jonathan Huberto and Alan Walsh fan clubs now. Two different fan clubs. He is the president of Dom Lushishin joining us on the Wednesday roundtable. After the break, we're going to get to your Twitter responses to something we're going to talk about. Dom loves to rip on these guys too. Referees in the NHL. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at Fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg... This is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Okay, guys, since the first penalty was ever called in a hockey game, people have been bitching and moaning about referees. Uh, You're never going to hear two fan bases say, oh, that was a really good call. Yes, no, I agree. Our guy did this and your guy fell and we should get a penalty. Um, But this year feels really, really different to me. Um, The voices that are complaining are more recognizable. They're louder. They're... um, really almost calling for some change. And just in case people don't know what I'm talking about, we saw a few different instances where calls, and I don't want to say missed because they couldn't have been missed. They happened to the guy with the puck. Uh, They were decided on to not be called. Austin Matthews in overtime gets his uh, stick held by Chikrin. Two seconds later, the puck's in the back of the net, courtesy of Chikrin. We saw Zach Hyman, minute left in a game, water skied on by, by Alexander Ovechkin. No call. 0.8 seconds left. The puck's in the back of the net. We saw Gabriel Landeskog um, start a press conference by saying, in 11 years, I've never sat and talked about referees in a press conference ever. Then goes on to criticize the referees saying that now certain players are not getting calls because of who they are. Like I said, this one feels different to me. Referees are not held accountable. And the other thing is... um, we're seeing referees try to put the whistle away in an effort to not decide the game. But by putting the whistle away, guess what they're doing? They're deciding the damn game. Uh, are you guys with me on, on the, the referee complaining just 
feels like this could be the beginning of a turning point. Jesse, you were nodding your head. That's why I'm going to you yeah. first. <laughs> yeah, I think it definitely. I mean, it feels like the the wave of momentum, like you said, the, the type of players who are speaking out, not just how many, but the, the names of the players that are speaking out. It feels like it's coming. I feel like the answer is to have them call the game the way it's supposed to be called. And I think that will piss pretty much everyone off for like the beginning of that. Like it's going to take a while because the players commit too many penalties, to be honest. Like the players are breaking the rules too often in a game. And that's why there's issues in refereeing because they have to decide which ones to call and which ones not to because there are too many. And if we called them the whole time, there'd be no even strength play. So I think you have to start calling them all. And then eventually the players will stop committing all those penalties, but it's going to be rough early if that's what you do. What do you think, Sarah? Yeah, I think that's kind of the trade-off that people aren't fully considering. But at the same time, I, when I reported after Rod Brindamore got fined $25,000 earlier this season that there was a memo sent out that you need to stop complaining about the refs, I think that pissed a lot of people off. And maybe that's why we're hearing more about it too, because they said, you can't criticize us at all. And it's like, okay, then I'm going to criticize you harder and take that penalty or players are going to do that because it just was for coaches and GM. So it's kind of like we're seeing a lot more of people standing up against that. I don't think they like that rule. And I totally understand that. For as long as I can remember, I, I hate complaining about referees and I hate complaining about missed calls because we get to watch it from 75 different angles in slow motion and then go, oh, why didn't he call that? But like I said earlier, these aren't missed calls. These are choices. And I think these are choices based on a very old school way of thinking. I think these are choices made on, well, it's the last two minutes of a game. You've got to pretty much kill someone to get a penalty. Well, you know, it's overtime. I want to let them play. Um, and I do believe there is an element of game management in, in refereeing um, where, okay, you know what? This game's getting chippy. Let's give some penalties to calm everything down. But I don't believe in makeup calls. I don't care if a team got five penalties in a row. I don't think that automatically means the other team should get a penalty. I think that when a player has the puck – you can't ever say, well, I missed that call. He's got the puck. You got two referees out there. I think the old school way that we all kind of enjoyed watching this game for so long is pivoting. And I'm wondering, guys, you you both cover games on a regular basis. Would you love to be able to go, okay, guys, uh, we're speaking to this player, this player, and this player, and then Wes McCauley's coming out to explain that penalty in the third period? Yeah, I'd love that. But at the same time, the it's kind of like an existential question where the refs can only be as good as the league allows them. And I just remember that memo from Colin Campbell that said, like, remember his son and like the like that whole situation with he wants them to manage the game more. It's like they can only do what their boss tells them to do. So I feel like it needs to be a structural fix, you know? Yeah, I completely agree. I don't think... I think the way it's currently constructed in that they are expected to make some calls and not make other calls is the issue. It's not the individual decision making of the referee, because if you leave that up to them, like there are going to be calls that half the people agree with and half the people don't. And there's going to be controversy. I think I agree with Sarah. It needs to be a a structural, like big picture overhaul of the way they call games like you are calling this penalty regardless of the situation regardless yeah. <laughs> of the player regardless of the score and like i said everyone wants that right now i think if we actually got that we would hate it we would hate it yeah, we'd be like this is this is miserable but you have to go like i feel like that's the first step and then the players have to realize oh shit every time i touch this guy's hand i'm getting a penalty stop doing that yeah. and then i think they would stop do committing the penalties and then it would and then and then overall the end product would be much better 
I think your idea, Jesse, works in theory. I don't think it would work in practice because I think eventually, just like every other quote unquote crackdown, it yeah. slowly gets back to the old way. Yeah, we had yeah. a crackdown on on interference and obstruction, and for two years it felt like if you looked at a guy as he's coming through the neutral zone, you got uh-huh. called, and it slowly kind of went back. Everything just slowly goes back to that. Um, Remember so the face off dot. The face off. Oh, it was insufferable. <laughs> like I yeah. couldn't watch the game. Drop yeah, the and, damn and, puck. I scream at the ref. Drop it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, and I know they tried that. I think they tried doing that, Jesse. And again, I agree with you in principle. Hey, if you, it's kind of like speeding. If you tell someone they're going one mile over the speed limit and they're going to get a ticket from now on, they should essentially all start going the speed limit. It ain't going to happen. So I just, I just look at this as, like I said, I always never understood why anyone would want to be a referee. Because if you do your job perfectly, no one says a damn thing. But if you make one little mistake, everyone's talking about you on radio shows, podcasts, newspapers, everything. Um, but this one just feels like something's got to be done because games are being decided. I'm, I know a referee doesn't want to make a bad call with 30 seconds left that ends up being wrong. But by not calling it, they're they're just affecting the game too much now. I do think the best like realistic thing you can do to fix this, though, is the thing Brenda Moore brought up to Sarah like a while back about having a official that has an earpiece in that can talk to all the officials on the ice that's watching the game from all these camera angles that we have. You mentioned how easy it is for us to see. Have one guy who's watching all that that can just talk to them and be like, hey, yeah, he tripped him. Hey, he didn't actually trip him. It looked like he did, but he didn't. I can see it right here. I think that is the most practical way to make the biggest improvement immediately. Yeah, the NHL didn't like that one. They find right? him for that when it's like that is <laughs> the logical answer, and it just yes. that's your, that's why I'm hesitant to go after certain refs when it's like it's a that issue they won't even hear out. <laughs> but it's so funny that they're so hesitant to make any changes, and this is a league that went from one to two referees. I mean, there was a point where where there was one referee, and they made such an, a huge change to to officiating, and now that there seems like there is a problem. Because I think I also think we we do have to remember they're human beings, guys. And I think sometimes the lack of a call isn't them saying, well, that's Nazem Kadri. I'm not making that call. The lack of a call is we're in overtime. If I make this call and I'm wrong, I'm going to be the goat in this whole thing. They're, They're human beings. We can't. They're not machines. This isn't like, you know, there's no black and whiteness to this. So. Anyways, we, we put this out on Twitter. Sarah, I know you, you said we're getting some responses. Uh, <laughs> fill us in on what we were getting here. Yeah, a lot of them is what Jesse and Rod were saying. Um, little Loaf Boy with a little piece of <laughs> bread next to his name said, add more referees, but not on the ice. Video refs are watching from multiple angles in real time to help get calls correct. And then he responded to his own tweet. The NHL saw this tweet and promptly fined Rod Brindamore $25,000. <laughs> <laughs> Not it does bad, seem, yeah, that seems like the most logical answer to this, right? Um, someone said, Ben Jeff said, I would simply have them stop screwing over my team. Am I right? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, everybody loves to blame the refs. The only problem is, okay, let's use the, the, the Matthews example. In overtime, his, his stick is held for a good three seconds. So are you guys saying that that guy pushes a button, stops the game and says there was a penalty? Yeah. Or the goal gets called back? No, I think I think have that person have the same ability to stop play wow. as the other referee does. He hits a button, the referee gets a buzz on his watch, whatever it is, holds his hand up, we've got a delayed penalty. He doesn't even know what it is, he just tells him what team it's on, we have a delayed penalty, and then once the thing happens, he can tell him, yeah, this guy held a stick, it's a penalty. I think 
It hasn't been that long that we've had HD TV and a billion slow mo replays. We didn't know the refs sucked. Like the refs have always sucked because it's <laughs> yeah. an impossible job. And then, like it's not their fault. It's not their fault. It's an impossible job. Exactly. Everyone's moving too fast. There's too much going yeah. on for them to see all of it. We used to not be able to see it either because our TV broadcast was crap because our cameras were crap. Now they're not. We see everything, and suddenly we're like, man, the refs are terrible. It's like no, it's the same that's been going on this whole time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mike in Portland says. <laughs> Like in Portland says, NBA style or MLB style post game explanations by officials, like we were talking about. Let us understand rather than speculate on calls. I do think that would be helpful. And I do think when the other leagues have it, we deserve it too. Like, I'd love to pick someone's brain, even to just have more sympathy for them and what they're, how difficult the job is. And it is. And like I said, it's so easy for us to say, How'd you miss that call? But like Jesse said, we're talking about like the fastest game on earth here and they have one flash at it. And those aren't the calls I'm talking about. I'm, I want to be very clear on that. I'm not talking about a call that's so quick that you didn't see it. I'm talking about the, the fear to blow the whistle. And that's what we're seeing. We're seeing non-calls. We're not seeing bad calls. We're seeing non-calls that are flat out affecting hockey games. Any more there before we go? Uh, well, here's Sarah? something. Yeah. Here's something really interesting from Sinbin Vegas with players, coaches, GMs, basically everyone, but refs, they're constantly younger and or better people pushing to take the jobs. But with refs, I mean, I disagree with GMs, but with refs, once they get to the <laughs> NHL, they are there until they decide to give it up, treat them like everyone else, perform or be replaced. I think this is something I want to bring up. There's a, nationwide or international shortage of refs right now because people don't want to do the job and be abused the way that they are. So maybe we need to treat them better to get better quality refs. I agree with all those points though, that younger, better, like it should be like when, mm -hmm. like just like when a younger player comes up and he's faster and better at this than this player is, he takes his job. I think it could absolutely be the same way with the ref. And on the like interview aspect, like I think the NHL thinks they're protecting the refs by not mm -hmm. letting them speak, but I actually think they're hurting them. I think they're doing them a disservice. We hear Gabriel Landeskog, we see his face get up there and explain why he thinks that ref is wrong. And we all immediately take his side because yeah. he's a human and we can hear him explaining it. And we're like, yeah, that makes total sense. Like I get why he's mad. And then the ref has no ability to respond and there's no humanizing of them. And we just see them as this faceless person in a shirt and screw that guy. Whereas if they came up there and explained their thoughts after every call, I think a lot more people would see their side of things and it would shift the overall, just how we view them. So true. Yeah. I think Tim Peel's Twitter has helped a lot in me humanizing refs. Like now yep. that he's done, he's been tweeting a lot and it's like very interesting. Here's my, my counterpoint to what you guys are saying about the younger refs pushing out the older guys. I feel that then that would transfer the, um, I don't want to call it abuse, but you know players know they can get away with things more with a younger ref versus somebody who's been around the game for a long time. Um, and whether we like it or not, there is an element of game management here, guys. There is an element of, let's say somebody's pushing the envelope. We've seen all those videos where refs are mic'd up. They skate to the bench. They go, hey. Jesse, one more time, and I'm giving you, you're, you're going to the box. And if Jesse goes out and does it one more time, we may look at that call and say, are you kidding me? That was barely a tap. Well, I gave him four warnings before, before doing this. There's an element to that. And young referees, I've heard interviews before say the hardest part is you are still a little bit in awe. You are suddenly going from, you know, doing a Guelph Storm game in the OHL to Sidney Crosby and Alexander Ovechkin going head to head. You know what I mean? So... I think there are issues with everything, but this one just feels different. I'm really curious to see 
how this is going to go. Um, guys, the next time we talk, the trade deadline will have come and gone. What are you guys working on between now and next week's show? I'm assuming a lot of that. Yeah, I'm trying to get injury updates uh, right now. It's it is. I feel like a mash unit here in Vegas. I'm trying to find out when all these players because I think over the next week the Golden Knights have some decisions to make whether they're going to be buyers or sellers. So I'm trying to figure out some injury updates and figure out what the hell this team's going to do uh, below 50 percent playoff percentage. So lots of drama in Vegas for me to write on, Sarah. Yeah, a lot of trade deadline stuff. Will they, won't meet? Will they, won't they? Coped in the Emmys. I got one day I'll learn how to pronounce that. It just doesn't work. But um, <laughs> his contract might be coming up, might be not. There's so many caveats with that. So just trying to unpack all that, answering some of your who says no questions and trying not to screw up too much. <laughs> <laughs> and we will unpack all of that next Wednesday, guys. Thanks as always for a great show. And I uh, want to let everybody else know what we've got coming up on some other great coverage on the Athletic Hockey Show. Bruce Boudreaux, head coach of the Vancouver Canucks, joins Farhan Lalji and Thomas Drance on the VanCast. And remember, for us, guys, it's pretty simple. Follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Don't forget to leave us a rating and a review. You can subscribe to the Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts to get all the bonus content from our entire network Custance and Gentili, who, by the way, guys, yesterday said that the Tuesday show was the best of the week, quote, by a country mile. I say the three of us challenge accepted. We'll go head to head with those guys every single week to see who goes there. Uh, They provided the bonus content this week. uh, And you can start with a 30 day trial. Then it's just 99 cents a month after that. Right now, you get an annual subscription to The Athletic for just one dollar a month for six months when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show the athletic hockey show returns thursday with ian mendez and down goes brown for sarah and jesse i'm rob talk to you next week